When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Episode 264 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dean Hilton, and with me today is Emil Pavanesian. Emil, there is no Barcelona on right now, but is it crazy to say that there's just too much football? There certainly is a lot. I mean, it's uh, it's tough to keep up with, especially, not going to fully digress into it, but as you and I talk about, we're both captured by the NBA from time to time, and on Sunday night, and here actually Sunday night, and again tonight at 10 o'clock, is the... Spanish Liga ACB, which is the uh, Spanish basketball top tier. Barca and Madrid are in the finals there playing for the league. So if Barca win tonight, they uh, can capture that league title. So it's just, I mean, there's really between the football and then literally anything else, it's a lot on the plate. Yeah, I know people are going to be tuning out already, but I'm also a New York Islanders fan for hockey. And they are in the Eastern Conference uh, finals. So there are yeah. three wins away from the Stanley Cup finals. Yeah. So for, for me, it's hockey, it's soccer, it's basketball, as you mentioned, the NBA playoffs. And it's difficult going even in the afternoon from the Euros to the evening watching Copa America. And I say difficult because, yes, watching sports for a living is so, so hard. And here I am complaining. So I think it's time to start talking about the actual things. And before actually we get to any, any of the football, I guess we should mention the one news dump of the day just for clarification. We're currently recording this at basically halftime of Portugal-Hungary. That second half is about to start. So uh, you're not going to hear any France-Germany talk with Griezmann and potentially Dembele. And then obviously Ter Stegen not in the tournament at all due to injury. So as far as rooting interest Barca-wise, 
Uh, yeah, we're not going to talk to Griezmann in France and Germany today. I hope it is a cracker, but that's going to be on later because the news dump we just saw was Ansu Fati posing in the new jersey. It was the one we were expected. And Emil, I knew that that was the jersey that was coming, but I think to the very, very final moment, I was hoping that that wasn't the one. But yeah, I mean, you can't win them all. I don't buy them all. Uh, certainly for those longtime viewers and listeners of the pod, well, listeners, but viewers, you know my rotation, you know the jerseys that I own. This is not going to be uh, one of those that I'm going to add to the collection. No, I, I agree. I mean, I think it's just too much kind of going on. And I think the, I really disliked the sort of the checkerboard, the Croatia look that the Barca sported, you know, in, in recent seasons. And also then there was the other one, at, what was it? I think this was maybe, was it 2016, 2017? The, the horizontal, like the hoops and mm-hmm. not, the, not the stripes. I really was not a was not a fan of that either. So I mean, I've I've enjoyed the the iterations that have just they don't even necessarily need to keep it basic. But I mean, I think the I don't know the foundational part of the Barca home shirt is the Blaugrana vertical stripes. I mean, mm-hmm. at the very least, I mean, I know they they tinker with the colors sometimes. A couple of years ago, it was a more it was more red rather than kind of the the wine color and the, the blues have, have changed from time to time. But I do think at the very least kind of do that. But there, there's just such a mishmash of, uh, of different types. No, I will, not be, I will not be adding this one. I actually had a long gap in between Barca jerseys that I bought. I bought a couple sort of in the mid-aughts. And because of essentially just the shirt sponsor, I wasn't, uh, wasn't really in the market for a while until I got, um, I believe it was the 2018-2019 one. I was able to get it without a shirt sponsor, which was... Fantastic. So I have that. And I also have an old uh, long sleeve. It's more sweatery from kind of the, the early 70s. And uh-huh. that's kind of my, my rotation. And uh, yeah, so I mean, I, I think this one, I'll be bypassing this one. I mean, maybe if the, if the away gets really, really sharp, I, I haven't taken a good look at that. But yeah, I think this will be a pass. Yeah, I think you could argue over the last 10 years that the away kits have actually probably been more impressive than the home kits. It just depends on your preference and, and, and the color scheme. But I mean, we're way down the rabbit hole of jerseys. So again, I think we need to talk a little bit about football for five minutes into the show. So yesterday I found that in the middle of Poland, Slovakia, I began to have an existential crisis wondering where the line of too much football was. And I, I think I, I hit it uh, right before the red card in Poland, Slovakia. That was kind of where I said, there is no Barcelona worrying about it. I mean, and one of the big things that I do during these international tournaments, obviously, is I make my list and uh, there will be content coming out, whether it's on the YouTube or articles on barcelona.com there will be content on there are plenty of players that i'll watch and i'll say man i would love if they were barcelona and yeah i mean they're not going to be coming with the amount of money that barca has even the spaces that barca has in their in their club right now so yeah it, but it's me playing football manager it's me saying hey in a hypothetical world where barcelona had all this money again these are the players that i would go after for example yesterday during spain sweden which we'll talk about after argentina Chile, i'm watching marcus Llorente play right back and i'm thinking boy that's exactly what Kool-Aid's at his best that Sergio Roberto might have been, where Sergio Roberto had actually taken that step into being, I would say, an elite player. And that's what Marcus Llorente, I think, is. He's one of my favorite players to watch in the world. But yes, because the way that he can play on the wing, the way that he's been moved from right back, the way he started even at defensive midfield. So there's so many parallels, I think, between Marcus Llorente and Sergio Roberto, except Marcus Llorente did take that step up to being one of the top three, four players on his team. Maybe not necessarily the Spain squad, but for Atletico Madrid this season, I think, you know, easily he was top three or four in terms of importance. But yeah, that was the moment where that is basically not even the moment, but Poland Slovakia was that moment where I said, 
I'm not sure if I'm going to be doing that here. I'm not sure there's any players going to be adding to that that big football manager list or that master list. You know, it's time to move on with that. So yeah, Argentina, Chile, yeah. then Spain, Sweden. Conrad de la Fuente news will do, and then a quick reaction to Francisco Garcia Pimienta's release. So that's all happening today. So yeah, I mean, I'll let you respond. And actually, then I want you to go first on your thoughts of Argentina, Chile, which ended one-one yesterday or last night. Obviously, when the tournament was originally slated to be in Argentina, but even kind of I've stuck with it after the sort of the 11th hour relocation to Brazil. But I'm backing Argentina to win this Copa America. There's enough there on on the team. I mean, I know it's in, in many ways it kind of is a little bit of sort of messy and the rest of the Argentina squad as it always is. But the problem is, I mean, it's kind of as long as there's Messi at, you know, sort of peak power, it's kind of it's forever thus, you know? And um, but I do think that they have enough in attack. I mean, I think uh, Messi and Lautaro and you know, I mean, I, I just I think they have enough I think they have enough in, in attack. I don't know why I've chosen this time to to sort of draw this line, but I do think that they just the, the Argentine national team has gone through enough kind of enough adversity and kind of just been been kind of kicked around enough. And it's gotten to the point where I think they've heard how awful they are <laughs> that, you know, I, th- I think there is going to be a little bit of a sort of will show them. And because, it, I mean, I don't think I've seen anybody even acknowledging the possibility that Argentina could win this tournament. And so, I mean, watching the game yesterday, they absolutely should have won that game. I mean, I think it was, I mean, the one goal was a glory from Messi and, you know, that, that's great, you know, and it is, going to come, it is going to come down to the fact that they need, they're going to need more from somebody at various points. Now, the thing is, they had chances yesterday. You know, I mean, Messi created chances for Nico Gonzalez. He created, uh, I believe he created a chance for Lautaro. Mm-hmm. And Messi is also the greatest, you know, distributor and playmaker. And you know, it's it's going to come down, and it was sort of the same story with Spain yesterday with uh, Alvaro Morata, where you know he he had chances and he didn't convert them. It's going to come down to actually converting chances, which is novel, I know, but um, yeah. I do think they have enough. Just kind of, in the, they have enough quality, and I think they have kind of. There's going to be enough determination and uh, and motivation to do it. Well, not only is there less teams in Copa America, but I also yeah. think the nature of the tournaments are very different. Just watching from Spain, Sweden, or right now even watching Hungary against Portugal, you have huge, in Euro, you have huge disparities of talent on the field. But with Copa America, these are teams that play each other so, so, so often. So as much as Chile got the better of Argentina in 2015 and 2016 in the Copa America, that was a long time ago. That was a lot of Europe. Uh, that was a lot of rather World Cup qualifiers ago. That was a lot of friendlies ago. These are two teams yeah. that know each other well. And the big difference, too, is that no team in South America, we saw it in Paraguay, Bolivia, no team is afraid of another team. I mean, Bolivia, when they were playing at home, even, they'll go right at you. Uh, and that's just a difference where there's lesser teams, teams know each other. And sometimes the more talented teams at every position, like we've seen in, you know, in the Euro so far, with the exception of, as we'll talk about in a bit, Netherlands, Ukraine, really no game has been turned up on its head in terms of one talented team was getting a good fight from a, a team with lesser talent. Mm-hmm. So far, it's basically been not even chalk because you could argue that Slovakia is not as talented as Poland. But again, look at other, other than Lewandowski or Zelensky, look at the rest of the Poland lineup that, yeah, right. you're, not, you're not really talking truly about world beaters uh, in every position. So Slovakia are a well-organized team that knew what they were doing in that situation. But for Chile, even if they don't have world beaters, 
they do have the likes of Arturo Vidal, and they're an experienced squad where Eric Holger in the midfield, you have uh, Aranguez in the midfield, right. again, alongside Vidal. So there was an older unit, and with the exception of that one 20-year-old who plays, I believe he plays on loan in Brazil from a Chilean team, he was the only one under the age of 27 in the starting lineup. So this is a Copa America Chile squad that knows exactly who they are. And even the same game, it's, it's interesting that they basically played the same game 11 days ago. And then it was a repeat yeah. performance, except now this one mattered. Now this one had the pressure of Diego Maradona kind of looming yeah. over that match. This one being the 10th major international tournament for Messi had all that comes with that. But I want to break down that free kick even. 33rd minute comes along. And I, I was happy to see that that Chile didn't bunker down in the first half. That first half was uh, rather open as they got to know each other. And starting the second half, even they got to know each other. The game turned after that VAR and penalty, Arturo Vidal and Vargas finished with the header. Then Chile kind of said, hey, we're just going to kick the living daylights out of the team that's out shooting us 18 to 5. So we kind of yeah. are just going get to the, get the, uh, the one point here, if you will. But on that free kick, what was interesting was with Arturo Vidal looking on and Claudio Bravo once again for the second time in 11 days, basically from the same spot, another free kick 11 days ago. And that time, yeah. Claudio Bravo saved it. The difference was this free kick location was a little bit more to the, to, to the center. And that is all that Messi needed, which is about a, a, maybe a foot or two, a few inches. Because with Bravo saving the prior one, this one, again, being slightly more to the center, meant that he had to be careful of Messi sneaking it underneath his own teammates, who were to the right of Bravo, or going to exactly the same spot he did last week that Bravo saved, and that's going up over the wall, curling it to that top right corner with his left foot where he wanted to. This time, he chooses that second option, or the same option he did last time, and put Argentina ahead. But other than that... not a hand on it, but... Right, he almost did. But, I mean, yes, it was messy magic, but I also thought Argentina, as you said, 18-5 to against Chile. Yeah, it's going to be all about chances, and I think the only thing stopping Argentina from winning the tournament is if we all truly believe that self-fulfilling prophecy of Argentina that they cannot convert. Whether it was Higuain, whether, whoever it's been throughout time, that yes. if there's a player that that Messi has to rely on. This time it was Nico Gonzalez of Stuttgart. Um, and even uh, Pavon, who played for uh, the Galaxy. I watched him there. Now he plays the Gamecki. So uh, yeah, Pavon was the last one. I remember Mesa, uh, really a longtime Argentina player playing in the domestic league in Argentina. So yes, you do have, who's the other guys? That uh, it's Aguero coming off the bench. And then, as you mentioned, Latara Martinez. And I mean, I was thinking back, is, is Latara Martinez, other than Iguain, he's basically the next, I mean, Aguero, I, I don't know. I keep going through and there's these high profile players. And it's just interesting that Argentina, if they converted some of those chances, they're clearly one of the dominant forces in the world, but they just don't finish. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough, and as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention, 
Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content, everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. That's really the thing. I mean, I think they, they wound up with the one goal, you know, on, I guess, last night. But I saw some things on Twitter, some people saying that, oh, Messi should have had four assists. Now, I don't know if to say that he absolutely should have had four assists, perhaps a bit much. I think he should have had two. I say two. You know, they, they yeah, very, yeah. Easy, very easily could have had three goals. And, you know, from that, it's a couple of point tosses. And, yeah, it, it turns into a route if, you know, if, if they go your way. but. They can't be going 0 for 4. You know, that, that's obviously, that, that is what's bitten them in so many tournaments before. And if they do it again, it's, you know, it's, it's going to be their undoing this time also. Um, but yeah, I mean, for, I mean, for reasons, I mean, some of them are just purely kind of emotional and wanting to see Messi win something. <laughs> but, you know, something mm-hmm. at an international level. I'm kind of a believer in this team. I mean, I feel like, and almost in a strange way, this is almost kind of a rope where, you know, it's easy to look at this Argentina performance and say, you know, same old, Argentina, same old Argentina. They get one goal, it's messy magic, and then they spend the rest of the game flooding chances that Messi creates, and they, they end up in a 1-1 draw. So it, it, in a weird way, I mean, I think this kind of does play into their hands because they're kind of slow playing expectations. At some point, you have to actually exceed the expectations, but for the time being, they're doing a great job of not raising expectations too high. Yes. Well, and I think the defense and the midfield are deeper than they've been in, I mean, years and years. I know Mascherano has retired, but this is a deep, deep midfield. And the, 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 you know, the defense is not 
world beating, but I think at every position they have a player that you can kind of trust at international level. Yeah. And I, I think that's important. And speaking of international level and players you can trust, let's head over to Spain, Sweden, which was 0-0. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. this is the one that really had my brain moving and thinking because Luis Enrique dealing with COVID issues. He only chose 24 players due to depth for his depth, which is interesting to note. Yeah. But this team had so much talent and so much sauce. And Marcus Llorente, as I already spoke about, Rodri, Coque, Pedri, who was the youngest ever play in a Euro for Spain, Danny Olmo. Yeah. There was so much sauce going on out there. Yesterday, there were so many players who have not only the, deten- the potential to make big plays, but I mean, that first half against Sweden was absolutely dominant with the one and only thing missing was a goal, which is an important part of winning a game. But other than the goal, I mean, when you talk about Barcelona fans and Kules, usually we're not talking about just the finishes. Usually we're talking about enjoying players, not even enjoy their football in, in the Folga Benita uh, of Brazil, but just in watching a team that is dominant, watching a team that knows where to play the ball, who to play the ball to, how long to hold the ball. Just yeah, they, know how to pull the, they know how to pull the levers. They know how to mm-hmm. turn the knobs. And it's just... It, I think like the, the peak of Barcelona and kind of and Spain when they're at their best is sort of I don't know if this kind of undersells it because when it's when it's firing it's it's absolutely incredible but it's almost like this overwhelming it's like an overwhelming competence where everyone just kind of does everything well both kind of physically they know how to receive the ball and distribute the ball and like you said how long to whom and you know sort of where to move where to be. And but then also kind of that, that mental part and sort of knowing where to position themselves when they don't have the ball and when the ball is on the other side of the pitch or, you know, when when the opponent has the ball or kind of knowing how to get your get your rest within the game and sort of also reposition yourself so that when you do get the ball back, there's not a whole protracted build up period, but you get the ball back and I know they're not sort of a, so much of a quick strike team, but when you get the ball back, you're ready to kind of shift quickly. It's not so much a dimmer, but it's just kind of a light switch from defense to attack rather than sort of, we got the ball back, now we're going to let the dust settle. And, you know, uh, so that's them at their best. And, you know, the first half yesterday, they were very much, you know, at, at their best. And I mean, what was it? I mean, I think Koke and Omo could have had them up, what, three, probably? I mean, I think they all... I mean, Koke just put one over, and Omo had two fantastic chances. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, that very... That game, it, in its weird way, that's kind of a a parallel or sort of a similar game to the Argentina game, where, you know, but for one or two chances that forces, uh, whether it's Chile against Argentina or uh, Sweden against Spain, to really have to to open up and play with a little bit more with a little bit more abandon just to get anything out of it you know that that game could have turned out very very differently and you know but for just kind of the the slimmest margins now it is worth it's worth noting also though that uh alexander isak of uh real sociedad mm-hmm. very easily could have scored for, for yeah. sweden that dude is electric. I really, I I love that guy. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, it, yeah. He's he's one of those guys that when you were saying you watch someone, you just kind of yep. He's on the list. That, he's on my list. Man, be, <laughs> yeah, he would be so awesome. <laughs> it would be so awesome if we could just get him in Barcelona. And so yeah, he's yeah he was fantastic. 
but yeah, I mean, otherwise, um, so, you know, Barca had trouble with him, or uh, Barca, uh, Spain had, had trouble with him, which kind of leads me to, to wonder, I know they're very different players, but I do wonder how the, the defense is going to fare against Lewandowski and Zielinski, particularly when they, you know, I mean, they're going to be, they're going to be going after a result too. And so that I think is a little bit of a, a potential problem because I mean, Spain is at their best when they're obviously controlling the ball, but also on the front foot and trying to attack and not doing the sort of what they did against Russia in the last World Cup. They're sort of possession for possession sake and just sort of like knocking it around sideways. That they're going to have to make that make that pay. They're going to have to actually convert that into something because you know, at the very least, I mean, it's it's still Robert freaking Lewandowski. You know, like he's going to he's going to get a chance or two. Just yeah, I mean, I, no, I think Morata has been a scapegoat up top for Spain so far. Then Gerard Moreno, we'll see how much Luis Enrique trusts him. But on the other side, I thought yeah. Pau Torres was pretty good. I mean, Burge had that miss, yes. and that was a big one. But I thought Pau Torres was good. I thought Laporte was good. Uh, and I think the weaknesses for Spain actually come down the wings uh, in that space in behind Llorente or Jordi Alba. Um, and yeah. I don't think Slovakia or Poland really have players that match that. And it, I don't think it's any question that Spain is going to have more talent on the field. But I think, again, the yes. big question for the Spain squad is they have international inexperience. Not experience, it's international inexperience. I mean, Jordi Alba was the, the captain. I mean, that, I mean, it's been a joke all over. But uh, right I, and I think that's also perpetrated by the fact that there are no Real Madrid players in the squad. So there has to be some kind of banter from the Real Madrid side of, of, of Spain, which is, I mean, the predominant amount of uh, Spanish watchers. There has to be something said about Jordi Alba being captain. So it's a little bit of a punchline. But yeah, I mean, I also think the expectations, obviously, where for the layman who doesn't watch Spain or doesn't watch the league or doesn't know who a lot of who Pau Torres might be. Yep. I think most fans are wondering, hey, you know, Spain, along with Portugal, along with France, along with Germany, along with Netherlands, along with England. I don't want to miss anybody out here. Uh, I don't even know why I said France. But yeah, so they're certainly just in name only expectations are that they need to be one of the yeah, one of the, the they're one of the brand names. Yeah, sure. But then you look at what this team does bring in, even though they're younger, if you will, on the international side, the club accomplishments and the talent of the squad. So, I mean, yeah. these are these are players that are quite accomplished at club level. Yeah. Uh, even a Pau Torres, who just won the Europa League with Villarreal. So these are players that have won trophies, run uh, one recently, and yeah. you look at all the even the Man City players that are in that squad, including Ferran Torres yeah. and Laporte, who may not be the important linchpins of that Man City side. But, I mean, they're still winners. They're still players that they know how to win games. And, yeah, so that, that leaves Morata as one of those questions. Where, yes, he has trophies in his career, but you always argue, even though he is a striker, was he ever one of the top six or seven or eight players on his team? Where, how does a team win a trophy without your striker, without your main goal scorer being one of your top six, seven, eight players? How's that, right? So of all the players I mentioned and complimented, between Llorente, yep. Rodri, Poke, Pedri, Danny Olmo, why was I not mentioning the center striker? And I think that becomes right. another one of those questions for Spain. But from one team, uh, before you respond to that, Emil, I, you know, I, I want to keep this show going. So we're going to talk Netherlands-Ukraine now because it's boring. I, I, I want to say almost boring. It was a defensive masterclass, I think, from Sweden. But as boring yeah. as that game was, Netherlands-Ukraine, 3-2, Dumfries with the winner on the header uh, near the end. Yeah. This one was pretty wild in a good way. I think this is of all the Copa matches I've watched so far, of all the Euro yeah. matches I've watched so far, this is the one that I said, okay, all right, this is the one that, uh, as even if I was not neutral, you know, rooting for De Young there, 
But, um, yeah. you know, even if I could try to watch one of the neutral, that would have been easily the most fun. I, I totally agree. I mean, I think the, I, I think last time we spoke, uh, it might have actually been offline, but I think I mentioned to you that sort of outside of the World Cup and all that goes with that, the, the Copa America is always my favorite international tournament because I mm-hmm. feel like kind of some of the stuff that you touched on, there's so much kind of familiarity and in some cases kind of European teammates going against one another in, in these in these settings. But then there's also kind of familiarity and contempt between these two sides oh, yeah. where, you know, even when you do get a, a defensive battle, like it's it's really a battle. It's You don't get too many sort of legitimately kind of, you know, terribly boring games. And, you know, when Every time the Euros start, I kind of talk myself into, you know, getting getting excited for certain games. And then, you know, you end up with Spain and Sweden. Or, you know, like even the, they what did what they had, they had to, to do. They had to do, yeah. Like, and that's all you can really say. Yeah, they did what they had to do. They're kind of riveting watch, you know? No. <laughs> and, um, and so I think the, Scotland. Yeah, I'm throwing C8 now. I know we have English listeners, but I actually yeah. thought Scotland's game was more, even though they lost, I thought they were more excited yeah. than watching England. And England, you're right. They did what a tournament favorite is supposed to do. But again, Scotland, they played like they had nothing to lose and they, yeah. you know, they could have scored a goal or two. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed watching Scotland try to get out of their yeah. comfort zone. So. Yeah, so, and I think this was sort of, this kind of worked out perfectly for, for, for that kind of thing because I feel like it's a very strange version of, uh, of a Dutch team, I feel like, right now because, you know, it's, uh, and I'm actually just trying to pull up the, uh, the I have the lineup that they, that they started here on my phone. But, you know, I mean, I think outside of maybe, you know, you have De Young and you have, you know, Wijnaldum is obviously, you know, featuring there. And I don't know that there is, is there someone on the, the Dutch team that you would consider a sort of a global superstar the way that there has been in, in years past? I mean, even sort of, you know, because there's been, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think right now, I'm, I'm horrifically blanking but i mean i, I um, think the, i think the young i think the young is a superstar i i, I do I, I think he is yeah I, I think he's the one i think the lick is also a superstar on the world stage i think those are those are names that i know they're younger players under the age of 25 yeah. but those are players that i think most people who watch football in general know about and it might have just because of the, the young psg barcelona transfer saga that might be the yeah. thing that that launched him into that echelon but even going back to Ajax, he was one of those hot names that everybody in the world wanted, you know, based yes. on that performance. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's De Young, but De Young, yeah, he's not an exciting player. I think you're right. He's not a world beater. And it leads me to the point that the player that should be that, we'll say, famous, famous name, the big elite player, is Memphis Dubai, who, for the English-speaking world, I think is known, well, not here in America, but in the UK, as being a, the burnout from Manchester United, who just didn't, who just fizzed out there and didn't work out. And now, I mean, people who watch a lot of football, including Liga, know that he revitalized his career. Memphis Dubai now is in his prime. He's 27 years old. And now if he was playing for Manchester United or for PSG or for Barcelona, uh, you know, that I'm leading you here. But if he was playing for one of those squads and he was doing what he did for Lyon last season, I think he would be considered a superstar because he's just been that important for Lyon. But you also saw against the Netherlands and you told me off air that you wanted to bring up Memphis and you wanted to bring up this game because you do have your reservations for a player that I think might be a Barcelona player by the end of the week. Yeah, I mean, by, <clears throat> by all accounts, I mean, the, every indication is that, you know, people are talking about it like it's a foregone conclusion. So, and kind of with the small caveat that it's not official, I mean, I have huge reservations about it for, for a couple of reasons. I mean, I think just, I, I've been reading up on it 
and just kind of reading sort of, and I know some of the stuff that I read has been coming out of the, the English press. And when someone from another nation goes to England and just kind of flames out spectacularly, you just kind of become a whipping boy in, mm-hmm. in the press and things like that. But even just reading back to, to things from early in his career when he was a PSV, you know, he was one of these guys that almost every quote about him was, he's kind of selfish, he's kind of a ball hog, he's kind of arrogant. I mean, yeah, he's super talented, but, you know, but there's always a but with him. And then there was, there was one thing I read, it's an old Guardian, you know, from like 2018. It's a Guardian article I just read this afternoon. It was like when he got to Manchester United, you know, Wayne Rooney pulled him aside and said, hey, you know, we're not going to do a lot of like flash and things like that. We're, you know, just kind of just be, be part of the team. We're going to, we're going to keep it humble. We're going to keep it mellow. And apparently he showed up to training with like a Rolls Royce and a cowboy hat, like later in the week. And even when he's been in France, he's regularly kind of called out teammates. I mean, he's had two, I guess we could say two and a half fantastic seasons with Leon because one of them was truncated by injury, but uh, you know, his first, I think his first season in Lyon, he was fantastic. And then this, this past season, he was, he was excellent. But even in the midst of all of this, he, you know, you read the, the quotes from him in the press, and he's regularly talking about, I should be playing every game. And, you know, when on occasions where the manager has just put him on the bench, not just not dropped him from the squad, but put him on the bench, he has, I mean, apparently he just he tantrums. He sits on the ball on the pitch during warmups if he's not starting the game you know he just if the, there have been stories you know with uh leon teammates of his you know whether they're missing chances or missing passes to him or things like that and he's kind of he'll let them know about it in in kind of a way that you know most you know you, you probably wouldn't want and i mean i think just between that and the fact that I mean, he hasn't been this. I mean, he was consistent this past season, but this past season is something of an outlier in that it was his first healthy and consistent season in four. Well, and my but, one, well, see, my, my but though is while all those points are valid, I, I think he has yet to be. I don't know if he's ever been. Yeah, maybe it's Wayne Rooney then when he was a younger player, but I mean, we don't know how much he's evolved behind the scenes. And now at Lyon, even if he's doing some of those things, I do push back on the idea that many players have done things like that and then they enter the Barcelona dressing room and then things change. And we've seen a lot of different players once they've entered, once you're in Messi's locker room, it's a, some of those things just don't fly. And that's, and that's been the case. And if the younger players or even older players, like a Pianist, if it doesn't fit, then it doesn't fit. And so I think that's what makes your point valid is that Pianist wasn't known for his tantrums. My fear is it's Zlatan 2.0. But I don't think Memphis Defy is anywhere the name cachet that Zlatan does. And with Zlatan, he was literally too good to drop as far as like his name cachet. Yeah. But for Memphis Defy, if managers are willing to drop him at any juncture for personality, then obviously that Ronald Koeman would be willing to drop him. The only other thing I have is that because Koeman worked with him at, for the Netherlands, there might be some trust there. There might be some, hey, this is what I need from you now. You're 27. It's yeah. time to be an adult. Uh, and if, yeah, I think Depay... Because we haven't spoken about his talent at all, we see even with the Netherlands, I think he's talented enough to make sense and fit with the team. But I have my reservations on his position. Just that free-flowing thing he does for the Netherlands, the free-flowing thing he does for Lyon, it does not fit with Messi. It did not fit with Griezmann. It did not fit with Coutinho. It, gosh, it didn't even fit with Zlatan, right? Like, it just it hasn't fit. It doesn't work when you have a free-flowing player like that. And 
that's my concerns. Uh, it's really all on the field because I think for players off the field, more often than not, it's been sorted out by the leadership there at that club uh, and the expectations that come upon you. And I said, you know, he was younger when he was at Man United. And if he's not taking well to being the guy at Lyon, I mean, again, maybe it's time to straighten himself out. Because even a Serginho Desk, I mean, he's a big, big personality. There's a lot of sure. stuff coming out with him. And you know that he's probably capable of, of Lyon moments. But I, in that locker room, he has to be a 20-year-old. He has to be the person that's going to follow. And I've noticed, too. I mean, I cover the team for the Twitch. I cover FC Barcelona and I work with them. And the desk that's on his own, you know, doing his own thing on his off-season or vacation or in the gym or whatever, the social media content that comes out there is much different than any of the content that comes out with him related to FC Barcelona. If you watch anything when he's interacting with his teammates or when he is on the premises, there is, he, sound, he seems like a quiet kid. He seems like he's a, a quiet kid. And then you look at him and you see how eccentric he is outside yeah. of the team. Uh, and I think you could see a very different, uh, a very comparable thing with Memphis Dubai. Uh, Emil, I'm going to give you a final point on here because I do want to keep the show moving and talk about kind of the yeah. first day. That, that point is actually very well taken. I think Dest is a really, really good example, especially compared to sort of young Memphis versus what, what Serginho Dest is now. I mean, I think the, the point that you kind of brought up and the, the, what gives me pause with Memphis is that Dest, I think he's, he's an eccentric guy and, you know, kind of outside of the, the context and outside of the, the, the confines of, of the Barca dressing room and the squad. But I, I feel like he knows what his station is at Barca and his, he knows his place on the food chain. So I, I think he's kind of very kind of well-adjusted and grounded in that way. My, my concern is not that, not that Memphis is going to come in and pretend that he's bigger than Messi, but the problem that, you know, sort of he sees himself as a global superstar when he is, you know, a, a very talented player who is often very good, but, you know, pretty often not as good as he thinks. And, you know, kind of can, it can create friction. And, you know, and obviously to bring him in, there are going to be there are going to have to be exits, which we've we've talked about. So it's always a question of kind of who are you swapping out to bring in Memphis. Um, I just I have pause. It's not that his talent is a problem. Yeah, I and mean, I think positionally too. I mean, I think you can play him on the left because he cuts in onto his right very well. Um, if you get if you can kind of get him to he needs positional integrity where he kind of doesn't free flow but sort of stays there and plays to his strength. In that sense, I mean, I think. If he was just sort of a guy with that talent, I think it would actually be it would be fine. It's more the the not kind of X's and O's stuff that uh, that gives me pause with him, um, along with the fact that it's already a relatively sort of jumbled and crowded attack. Not necessarily that it's super loaded, but there's just so much of it that kind of adding another potentially volatile or potentially kind of unsettling piece. Yeah, uh, gives me a little bit of pause. And I think we continue to talk about Fati. I mean, Fati yeah. does everything that that yeah. position needs to do if he was healthy. Uh, and if, if yeah. I'm, I've got, got Fati at 100% and I've got Tapai at 100% for X's and O's and what both bring, I'm starting Fati every single time. 10 of 10. Memphis Tapai is coming off the bench alongside Dembele. And my starters are Messi and Griezmann and Fati. And we're figuring it out from there. And what, as you mentioned, uh, with that attack being so loaded, that meant that, and we all have this feeling. Yes, I'm biased, you know, with the American thing. I've been watching Conrad at Fuente. He was 16 years old, 15 years yeah. old, you know, checking out highlights and just, you know, seeing what was up with him in the academy and watching him prosper and come through. And 
It was an awesome surprise to see him as the first American player to ever debut for Barcelona because he did it in the preseason game last season before Sergio Dest ever came. So Conrad De La Fuente does get that. He wasn't an official match, but he does get the distinction of being the first American debut for FC Barcelona's first team uh, in, all, in all regards. That said, there is a sense that, yeah, he's too good for the third division, and that's true, especially throughout the year. You know, last year he was pretty honest in saying that he had just one goal heading into March because he didn't enjoy being shifted between the, the first team bench and the back with the B team. He just wasn't getting consistent game time, and that was certainly affecting him. He's a, he was at, at the time 19, now he's 20 years old, so a young player, he might still be 19, whatever it is. Then he winds up scoring five in the remaining two months with Garcia Pimenta when he was just with Barca B. He also collected all four of his assists of the season from February 21st on. So he's a player that was playing with confidence once he was down with the B team. And I kind of, I'm easily talking to the fact that this loan, it seems like to Marseille, they're still going over how much the numbers may be, but it seems like this deal is almost done and dusted. It's a loan with 5 million euro applause to make the deal permanent in the summer for the French club. Can this new regime get those buybacks at reasonable numbers is the question that I think is currently being asked. Because I think Conrad is one of those players that I'd want to see a buyback clause inserted in. 5 million euros, if he's had a good season, I think Marseille will easily purchase that amount, especially in the hopes that they have an American player and opening up an entire new market. So uh, there's also Marseille has a, a new American owner. So that is another fraction or another thing to think about behind the scenes. And next season, they're going to be in the Europa League with Jorge Sampaoli. You might remember he was a longtime manager. Yeah. And we talked about Comable. Well, in, in South America, yeah. they know him well there. But he plays an attacking style and he defends as high as possible. So if Conrad were a defender, I'd be a bit worried. But good thing for Conrad de la Fuente, he is a winger and playing for a team that's playing in the Europa League. So Marseille, who finished, I think, seventh in Liga or fifth in Liga, something there this season. They are going to be playing a lot of different competitions. So I think there will be times for him to see the field. And, I, you know, it's again one of those plays in a long list of, of ones where I want to keep tabs because, yes, not every in Frances, Tomas said this a long, long time for years and years. If you get one or two players from every generation into the first team from the academy, you've done your job. And we're going to talk about Garcia Pimenta end the show. But with the likes of, there was a talented group. There's a talented group that are not just, and this is no disrespect to a Sergio Palencia, who was a captain for, the, for Barca B, or Danny Moreira, another right back for Barca B, where you got the sense that they were never going to have a spot in the first team. Even if they become better professionals in their early and mid-20s, there was never really going to be a spot for them at the club. But then you have the likes of Alvaro Ruiz, who's now with Braga, uh, and then the opposite of that was Sergio Gomez, who was behind him, the attacking midfielder for Dortmund and now with Huesca, where Abel Ruiz seemed to just need game time and he's kind of figuring things out in Braga, Sergio Gomez, unfortunately, he's never going to be the player he was expected to be when he was 16, 17 years old when he made the move to Dortmund at 18. But then we also see a dad playing for their B team, probably their best player for the B team to help get promotion into the second division, Roberto Navarro. He's only 19 years old. That's a player that I'd say, hey, I want to keep calling him and reminding him where he got his start, right? And then you have a player like Pablo Moreno, who's still, I think, 19 years old. He's bounced around from Barca to Juventus to Man City, and then he was alone at Girona this year. Then in Girona, six matches, zero goals for him. And you're starting to not wonder, but he, again, he's only 19, 20 years old, so he still has plenty of time. And on the other, speaking of Girona, you have Manchu with eight matches and one goal this season. Manchu's kind of a good professional, but was he ever an FC Barcelona first teamer? Probably not. 
So Conrad is one of those players that I think could potentially be, but how often do you need to care about these buybacks? I think the, the best example right now, before I give it to you, Emil, is Jorge Cuenca, who was on loan at Ameria from Villarreal. I thought he was one of the best defenders that I watched in the second division this year with Ameria. And I, he's a player that I'm glad that there's a buyback for. How long that yeah. you, you know, but Barcelona would have to get that, they'd have to make that deal sooner than later to bring him back before Villarreal have, you know, before he's no longer a Barcelona player with any buyback clause, he becomes a right. Real player outright without any buyback clause. But for Conrad, yeah, I would say whether or not Marseille, I hope they do spend the 5 million euros because that means he's earned that move. Uh, and then for Barcelona, if they can insert that buyback, then if you need to get him for 8 to 10, because he's become one of the top, what, 30, 35, 40 wingers, because that's what really you're talking about if you ever bought him back, was is yep. he worth 10 million or 15 million? And the way that Barcelona are going to have to do business over the next five to 10 years, and this is the final point here, the way that Barca have to do business over the next five to 10 years even, uh, I mean, you could even say two to three if you want to do the short term, they have got to make shrewd deals. And they have got to make sure when they bring players in or bring players back that they are getting them at value. And they might be looking down the pipe two years or three years from now and say that, hey, Conrad at 8 million euros is, is worth just as much as another talent who we're being charged 15 to 35 million euros for. And that is the reason why you put that buyback in. And that's why Barca have to fight harder for it. Where I think over the last four or five years, there's been an idea that once a player leaves Barca, they're just, Barca would rather spend the 30 million to bring in a a Trincao. They would. They'd rather spend 30 million to bring in another player that fits the same profile for more money because of whatever reason. But I don't think they're going to have the option now moving forward. Well, one, I mean, I think, you know, barring some sort of kind of financial gymnastics over the next couple of years, I mean, I think they just will not have that option. So, I mean, they're, you know, when a, when a guy leaves or, you know, someone underperforms or something like that, yeah, they, you're not going to have the option of going out and just spending $30 million on two or three different guys and essentially almost taking this, it's like a very bizarre version of like, it's like a big money take on venture capital. Where like venture capitalists, you know, they put small investments out and hopefully one of them is Google and it just essentially, you know, pays for everything else that didn't work. But like the, these Barcelona's, and the one that I always go back to was, uh, now granted, these, not all these guys are bad players. But I always go back to the, the transfer window where uh, I think they spent, what was it, maybe like $110 million on Arda Turan, uh, Andre Gomez, and... Paco uh, Alcacer. Yeah, Paco Alcacer. And, you know, I mean, it was one of those strange things where obviously these guys were capable. They had done things like, they, you know, they, they were able-bodied players. But it was, this, it was this weird thing that, you know, these were, with the exception of kind of the, the mega transfers, these were some of the larger transfers that Barca had made kind of almost in their history. And these were just guys. It was just almost like stuff to throw at, a, throw at the wall that you weren't assured that, Either tactically, attitude-wise, or just in terms of sheer talent, uh, they were they were ready and sort of ready and able to to step in and do that job. So I mean, I think these there was a thing too. Now I know Juventus, I think, was paying very high wages. I think that was the strategy. But I think one of the ways that they built part of this the you know this last dynasty that they've had was they would get really talented players on free transfers and give them big wages because mm-hmm. they weren't paying anything to, to actually bring them in. 
And I think it's, it's kind of like that where, I mean, one, it's going to be a little bit out of necessity, but secondly, I mean, I think you're reducing your risk. I mean, you're putting less, less money on the table. Like you don't have, you're not going to have transfer windows where you've wagered effectively wagered, you know, 100, 120, 150 million euros on three or four guys. And, you know, three or four, and kind of the, the problem is too, it's three or four non-elite guys that, you know, are, are pretty good, but might, may or may not work out. I mean, that's still, that's just too much of a, too much of a point on us. And so I do think, I think it's these buyback losses will be, will be huge. I mean, I think it's, obviously it comes down to negotiation and, and negotiating the right fee, but I think, like you said, I mean, I think a $15 million or a 15 million euro buyback, right? Because you're getting five for him now. And then it's effectively, is it going to be, you know, is it going to be worth 10 million in whatever, a couple of years? If he's that good, you will, you know, just don't crawl, crawl through broken glass to, to, to sign a dude like that for, for 10 million. And rather than having to go through the entire kind of exercise of identifying a young prospect and, you know, negotiating with another team and absolutely not getting them for 10 million. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think these buyback clauses are going to be big. I think a little bit of it's going to come down, down to, I'm going to use a basketball analogy here, but it was kind of the, the thing that was always said about uh, Daryl Warren running the Houston Rockets was, and ultimately it didn't work on the sort of to the championship level. But it, I remember the, the talk was always, he would win every transaction. You know, it was, yeah. you know, he would turn two second round picks into a useful functional rotation player. And he would turn two rotation players and whatever. So he was, and it's kind of like you said, you need to do shrewd business and there needs to be a long-term plan. But I think a lot of that long-term plan also needs to really involve um, minimizing as much as possible the, the swings and misses. And right now you just can't afford a big money swing in this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you kind of, like you said, you have to, you have to do shrewd, you have to make shrewd deals and yeah, you have to get value for money and where you can, you try to get value for, for no money. <laughs> you know, if you yeah. can do, you can get someone for no transfer fee and a, and a relatively modest wage. That's a, that's a risk worth taking rather than, you know, a, a midfielder who may or may not work out for, you know, 40 million. Yeah, certainly. And just looking at the way that Barcelona have to change the way they do business is going to be have to, I think what we're considering, what we're thinking about. And we know big changes are coming through and we don't have any time to talk about this. And it's a promise to you, the listeners, that we will talk about him on Friday. You know, it, it spoiled my birthday a little bit to wake up and see that Garcia Pimienta was released by the club. I was, you know, frustrated by it. You've heard me sing his praises many, many times, but it, it comes along with what we'll explain on Friday as a complete restructuring of the youth academy. And Conrad is latest in a line of one of those that you wonder if X, Y, Z had happened, if this was the plan, then maybe he would have given, been given more of an opportunity at the first team level. Um, but I don't know how much Garcia Pimienta was a part of that. So unfortunately, we don't have any time to talk about Garcia Pimienta. I mean, Emil, I'll give you one word on it because you won't be on the show later in the week. So uh, just, yeah, a quick little thing and, and then, we're, then we're moving on out. Uh, I, I mean, I, I was flabbergasted. <laughs> uh, you know, the... Barca B had a good season and, you know, there's, there's a wave of young players that are, you know, kind of either on the, on the senior squad or potentially coming. And I don't know. I mean, the, the only thing that I heard was because he didn't 
win promotion to the Segunda? Is that the sort of the, the company line for why he for why he had to be let go? I mean, I always think that with like a B team, the the objective, sure, winning trophies or you know promotions and stuff is great, but that's not the point. If you if you have good players and you're developing players and young guys are getting better under your under your tutelage, that's the primary objective. And any silverware is kind of supplemental to that. So yeah, my one word is, I mean, flabbergasting. I thought he was. I thought he was around. He was. I thought he was just going to be around. Yep. Uh, so did I. So I, I thought that it, even even the timing of it w- was weird because you felt like it was yeah. already, if he would have been released, it would have been released earlier. But yeah, they're doing a whole complete restructuring that we will talk about later in the week as we continue to get to the bottom of the new changes and the new things right. that Juan Laporta is doing. Not only in this seems like it's his mission and his plan uh, and his new board, this is their ideas, as opposed to the business we spoke about with the likes of Conor de la Fuente, which is almost trying to right the wrongs of the past. So there's two different things that this regime is doing. It's doing what they want to do moving forward for themselves. And then it's also trying to fix the mistakes of, of what has happened over the, the recent season has put Barcelona in this financial position they are in. But again, we're going to talk in the off season. So we might have more transfers to talk about. We might have more rumors. We'll have some more Euro to talk about because there's 90 games going on at all times. Uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, well, I mean, again, France, Germany is in less than an hour. So we want to thank you for listening to this show. We'll have another one again later in the week. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the most on the pod. Then our closed Facebook group is tvpod.linkbacks.group. And that's where you can ask questions. And we have a good community over there. Patreon is how we keep making these shows, how you can listen to these without the ads. So a little incentive to support the show financially. And we're on YouTube. That's where I did the match reviews throughout the whole season. And I do have some specialty content going on over there as well. That's at the Barcelona Podcast. Most importantly, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, talk to you soon. Of course, the Barcelona. Of course, the Barcelona.